from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. What's your reaction when you hear the term millennial? Do you smirk, grimace, recoil? Often the word carries a negative connotation. But Antonio Neves says young adults are getting a raw deal in the court of public opinion. The nationally recognized speaker, author, and journalist views millennials as a positive, powerful force, a motivated group that won't settle for mediocrity, especially among the managers they trust to nurture their professional and personal ambitions. I'm Adam Mertz, Associate Manager for CUNA News and Credit Union Magazine. Today, we'll revisit my colleague Craig Sauer's interview with Neves, who will make his debut as Master of Ceremonies at CUNA's Governmental Affairs Conference. Neves appeared on the CUNA News podcast on June 1, 2017, prior to leading a breakout session at last year's CUNA America's Credit Union Conference. Here's their conversation. You know, as you see it, what's the landscape for millennials in the work the workplace right now? What are some of the challenges that they're facing? To really understand millennials, I think you actually have to look to their parents as uh, the examples of why they who why they are who they are. You hear a lot of things about millennials. You hear about them not being loyal. You hear about them being uh, apathetic, indifferent, not really wanting to work hard, put effort forward. Uh, what you have to understand about millennials is that, frankly, as an employer, as a manager, you have to earn that. And the reason why you have to earn that is you think about, again, the landscape for a millennial. Many of these young men and women were born uh, when, night, when you know, September 11th happened. They know all about terrorism. They were grow, grew up in an era of multiple wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. They know about seeing that on the news. Something that's really interesting about millennials as it relates to their parents, they know firsthand what it was like growing up during the financial crisis when we go back to 2007, 2008, 2009. So they saw their parents do all they were supposed to do to accomplish the the American dream, if you will. And then in many ways, they saw that taking away from their parents. Their parents were loyal to these organizations. They were loyal to these companies. When this happens, they saw their parents lose their jobs. They saw their parents lose benefits. That has stuck with them their whole lives. And then they think about home ownership, and they see where their parents, again, they were so dedicated, they were so loyal, and they did what they were supposed to do to live the American dream. And then so many of them were foreclosed on. They lost their homes. So millennials view things from a really different vantage point than I would say a baby boomer or even a Gen Xer. So when they do come into the workplace, they do come into the office, they do have certain expectations. Uh, I think one of the biggest things when you work with millennials is that they're going to challenge you in many ways to see how committed, how dedicated you are. And one thing they really do crave is being held accountable, is being challenged. And one thing they really, really love, as much as folks talk about how much they're on technology, they really do crave feedback. You know, millennials, they don't leave companies, they leave their managers. And I think that's what the men and women who manage these young folks should really know. Are millennials different in how you engage them? Are there, are there things that will work for a millennial versus that work for a baby boomer? As far if you're a manager, do you have to approach them in different ways? I think it's a case by case basis, of course, based on the background of the individual, based on their upbringing, based on their experience. I will say, not only do you have to explain to them why certain things are taking place and why you're doing them. 
Because I would say the the baby boomer, uh, the Gen Xer, many times they were given assignments and they would just start doing the assignment. Okay, I was assigned with X, it was supposed to be delivered by Y, and I'll make that happen. What you find with millennials is that saying, hey, do this, isn't enough to get full buy-in from them. What you want to do is find a creative way, a creative way to get them fully vested in the project. The question you're going to hear a lot is, well, why are we doing this? Well, why are we doing that? And back in the day, we would just hear, well, I'm your boss. Just do it. Don't worry about the why. It's something you have to do. And I think it goes to having a really strong mission at your company and your credit union and having really strong values is being able to answer the why. The last thing a millennial wants to do is to spend tons and tons of hours on doing something and they don't know why. They don't know what the value is. They don't know what the benefit is of doing it. If you can convince them of what the why is, and you know, Simon Sinek wrote a great book on that subject, they will deliver exceptional results for you. So as a manager that's maybe not used to getting that question, why the, the why question, how do you get comfortable, uh, you know, responding to that or answering that question when, you know, in the past you could just tell an employee to go and do a job or do a task uh, and they would do it. So how do you get comfortable with that kind of new uh, way of, of interacting with uh, a subordinate? Sure. Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think one, you got to find a way to get out of your own way. You have to acknowledge that things have changed. And uh, the language of, well, when I came up, we didn't do it like that. that that's just not going to work. That's not going to sell anyone. I mean, for the turnover for millennials is, you know, pretty high. I don't average, you know, folks are leaving jobs every 18 months. What it's going to require, and I think this is awesome for that Gen X or that baby boom or manager, is showing up a little bit differently and seeing how they can connect and how they can engage and how they can motivate that employee. Yes, they're going to come, they're going to be, hungry and they're going to be challenging and I think a great way to manage people these days is not by managing them but using more of a a coaching method. You know, something that's amazing is that a lot of top executives, particularly at the director level and above, you see directors and vice presidents and senior vice presidents, when they succeed or when they get in challenges, one thing they tend to get and where companies invest in them is they'll get an executive coach that they work with. They'll get ongoing development opportunities that make them better. Uh, the approach I think that managers can use when they work with millennials is not the manager approach, but the coach approach to get the best out of people. I mean, think about it from a professional sports perspective. You have men and women on college sidelines or on professional sports sidelines that are in their 40s, that are in their 50s, 60s, sometimes even 70s. And every single year, they have a brand new crop of young women and women that come into these sports from 18, 19, 20 years old, and they have to find a way to relate to them. Just telling them to do something isn't going to do it. So they have to stay fresh on their toes, do the research, and on an individualized basis, find a way that they can connect to that athlete or connect to that employee to see what moves them, to see see what helps them move forward in making things happen. So based on a lot of the studies that I read about engagement, uh, most people say that they are not engaged with their work. Do you think that is just a given? Is that just something that's always, there's always going to be a level of disengagement? 
or or is that something you can you you think over time in society that can be addressed or is it just going to always can I have like a flat line well you know it's interesting millennials have one of the lowest workplace engagements in the country an extremely low percentage are engaged I don't think it always has to be this way. I don't think that that low engagement is a byproduct of just an apathetic and indifferent employee. I place that onus. I place that responsibility on the organization and on the manager. Uh, you know, every single day people have to recommit to what's most important. And every single day people need to know what the mission is, what journey, what path that we are on together. It's interesting, and I have the opportunity to go into companies all across the country, and I'm talking big country, billion dollars, big companies, billion dollars, companies to, to startups that are just getting started in college campuses. And what's interesting is I talk to some of the employees. I will ask 10 employees the exact same question, and that question will be, what's most important for this company right now? Or maybe I'll ask a question like, what's most important about this quarter? What's most important about this week? Or what are the big goals? I'll ask consistent questions, the same questions that 10 different people. And what's amazing is that you'll get 10 different answers. Unfortunately, what we're finding is that we're assuming that people know what's most important. We're assuming that everyone knows what the main goals are. But unfortunately, there can be a major disconnect between management and the people who are coming up, specifically younger employees. So to get them engaged, they need to know what the priorities are. Not only what the priorities are, but why these are the priorities, and if we win, what that means. And even better, what role you can play in the success of helping us accomplish this goal. I think a lot of that is missing nowadays. I know firsthand a lot of that is missing, and people are just expecting people to show up and punch in the time card like they did, you know, in the 1960s and 1970s, punch it out and, and leave. But again... Uh, this younger generation, they want more. They want to be better. They want a lot to be after them. Unfortunately, they don't know what's most important a lot of times in their department, let alone their company. So what does a engaged employee look like versus a disengaged employee? How do you tell them apart? I would say um, an engaged employee has an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, when I say an entrepreneurial spirit, they are pro Active. They take a CEO's approach to work. They're not waiting for things to happen. They're making things happen. They're willing to ask questions. An engaged employee isn't waiting for an assignment to be handed to them. Sometimes if they have ideas, they're actually taking action on them and presenting them, hoping to get a buy-in. Uh, an engaged employee wants to learn, wants to be developed. An engaged employee is seeking out guidance, is seeking out mentorship, is seeking out development. An engaged employee is knowing what's going on with the industry and industry trends. They are dialed in every single day. They are finding ways to get uncomfortable. Uh, they're not playing it safe. They're willing to get reprimanded if they're trying to do something right. And I would say the disengaged employee is doing the exact opposite. They're, they're passive. They're waiting for that next assignment. They're not going to ruffle any feathers. Uh, they're waiting for that paycheck every two weeks. When that clock strikes 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, they are out of the door. On Friday, when they leave at the end of the day, they're not thinking about the amazing things that they can, they can create in their work environment uh, during that weekend. They'll, they'll start thinking about work again on Monday. For that engaged employee, they really don't look at work as work. 
while they're there, no matter what they're doing, in many ways they're looking at it as their calling, how they can show up and give and leave their mark, their imprint on what they're doing. They are fully brought in. And the difference between an engaged employee and a disengaged employee is extremely obvious. And let me tell you something. When a, a young, hungry, engaged employee comes in, and you have a disengaged Gen X or a baby boomer, that right there can ruffle some feathers. It's like, wait, slow down. You delivered that project a little bit too soon. Now they're going to expect me to do the exact same thing. Normally that takes two weeks. You do that in four days. So you'll find some interesting energy that comes about when you have that really engaged, fired-up employee. Have you ever been a disengaged employee uh, in your life? That's a great question. I mean, um, sure, uh, I have been a disengaged employee. Uh, my career primarily before I began working in the millennial workplace space, I worked in television for a really long time as a reporter and a correspondent in the television industry in New York City, which is if you're not engaged in that industry, you're not going to last because it's so competitive. But I briefly had a, a spell prior to working in the television industry where I worked as a sales representative for a big food company. I was responsible for about 25 different grocery stores. And though I did relatively well in that position, the reason why I wasn't fully engaged is because I was on my own. It was just me in the field, straight out of college, with grocery stores I was responsible for. Uh, what I didn't have and what I really, really needed was nurturing. I needed to be around a team every single day. I needed to be held accountable. I needed that manager to helping me and developing me and asking me questions. And so in many ways, though I succeeded on the numbers, I struggled uh, with the engagement because I wasn't able to bounce ideas off of anyone. I was just kind of on my own uh, floating around. And I think that's how many employees now feel at companies, uh, whether it's a large company with 5,000-plus employees or it's a smaller organization. And they feel like all they're going to do is sit in the cubicle all day and the only, only communication they're going to have is, is chatting or texting via their office, office communication system. It may be tough for them to succeed and thrive. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more of your kind of your backstory professionally, uh, some of the different jobs you've had, and then uh, you know why the topic of uh, millennial engagement became the thing that you wanted to hit the road and and talk to people about. Sure, if you Google me, you know my background is I worked in the television industry for nearly fifteen years in New York City with with top television networks like NBC, Nickelodeon, BET networks, PBS. I was a reporter. I was a correspondent. I was a guy talking to television cameras, interviewing top CEO, CEOs, executives, entrepreneurs, Grammy and Oscar award winners. You name it, you know, working in the high stakes of, of live television. Uh, for three years, I hosted a business program that was produced by NBC where I got to interview the top business leaders that you would see on the covers of the eight magazines and the fast companies. And over those three years interviewing these top men and women, I was just blown away by the consistency that these successful companies had. And that primarily was office culture and, and how they really developed their employees. Uh, one consistent theme that I saw as I profiled these outlets and continued to write myself for business outlets was that the vast majority of development of the vast majority of training went to people who are the director level and above. But that person who came in who was an entry-level employee or they were a coordinator or a manager, that young professional, they really, really needed development. But unfortunately, I found many companies didn't invest in them because their fear was, why am I going to invest in these young employees when all they're going to do is leave? And, you know, the refrain is, well, what if they don't leave? Then what? So what I saw was a void 
to really support the general population. This is before people were saying a millennial every other day. It was just college graduates, young professionals. And so as an audience that I really care about, it's one that I can relate to. I know beginning my career, I needed a lot of support and guidance. And organizations noticed that with the multi-generations in the workforce, from the baby boomers to the Gen Y to the Gen X, they needed support navigating this generational divide. I've been fortunate with my journalistic background and my coaching background that I'm able to really connect all three different generations. I'm able to convey a message for all of them of how they can kind of work together to establish good outcomes. So my work the past five plus years has been a combination of giving leadership talks at top organizations like Google and Starwood Hotels and Resorts and international companies like Booking.com. I go to top college companies across the country and speak, and I spend a lot of time spending at tra- speaking at trade association meetings on these topics for outlets like the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants or um, the American System of Health System Pharmacists. So it is something that I'm passionate about, and I love developing young people and helping them accomplish their goals. Uh, having you know interviewed a lot of uh, business leaders, have have you seen like uh, innovative approaches to engagement, uh, things that you wouldn't necessarily think about uh, that really work well for individual companies? Sure, I've seen a, a couple of things, and one is um, you know achievement is really important for I think employees, but particularly young employees that feel like they are on a track and. Uh, a, a development track. So I found that sometimes what a lot of cool companies are doing are, in many ways, letting employees through different training programs. Once they get finished something, they'll earn badges, if you will. They'll earn different certifications along the way. So if the standard time to get a promotion is any, say, two or three years, you know, most people are really bored that they don't accomplish something in that time frame. By creating these unique development tracks, you know, the professionals can feel like every three months or six months after they finish a course or a training or attend a conference or something like that, they've earned a new certification. So they feel like they are regularly achieving something, which is really, really important. Nothing is worse than feeling like you're standing still. Something else that I found that's really, I don't know if you want to call it innovation, but it's really unique is a lot of top companies, you know, we throw money at a lot of things these days. Oh, we, we need this new software, or we need to hire this new person, or we need to do X, Y, and Z. And I saw one company that whenever an employee would come to the CEO and they say, hey, we need X, Y, or Z, what the CEO would say is like, okay, I hear you. Uh, let's let six months go by, and within six months, if you still need it, we'll get it. If not, we'll see what happens. And what the CEO found is that typically no matter what, the employee presented whether they needed to hire someone else or they needed more money in the budget or they needed this new software. Typically, within six months, they had found another solution that didn't require uh, an expenditure. I think that's where real innovation happens. In my experience, interviewing so many top CEOs and executives, I found that most innovation, most breakthroughs happen under constraints. It's not always the largest companies that have the big findings. It's not always the people with the biggest budgets that do the great work. It's not the the largest teams that get the most done. Uh, constraints actually can allow for awesome creativity that wouldn't exist otherwise. 
Say say a credit union decides, like after listening to you talk passionately about this at, at ACUC, uh, they want to really dig into the idea of engagement and really work on it. Do you have any advice of maybe, you know, what not to do? Are there things that they could maybe be a misstep if, if they go about it the wrong way? Sure. Going about it the wrong way is making decisions solely with the leadership team. Unfortunately, what I've seen go awry in many companies, many organizations, is that when they want to make changes for the organization, funny enough, it's just senior leadership in a room making that decision. They're not involving all levels of the organization. So they come in there, they're proud, and they share this big brand new initiative with their employees, and they find out that no one wants it. The reason why no one wants it is because they didn't go in, they didn't connect, and they didn't talk to their staff. So there's a huge disconnect. I am a firm believer that whatever problem any company is facing, the answers to that company, the staff has the answers. Unfortunately, due to certain hierarchies and old school methods, we no longer engage some of the youngest people in our organizations who have some of the most innovative ideas. That's why I think it's really interesting sometimes when they when companies bring in outside facilitators and outside speakers because all of a sudden now there's a man or woman there that can say things or ask questions that previously weren't allowed or people wouldn't dare say out loud. Other people could be held accountable. I'm a firm believer is that don't be the facilitator at your offsite. You know, be part of the solution, not the one facilitating it. And I think sometimes people get quiet when senior leadership is in front of the room and they're trying to involve the employees because they're afraid if they say the wrong thing, they may get in trouble. So the biggest obstacle in a way is just putting your senior leadership team in a room and coming up with what they think is the solution. No, talk to people, involve people, bring them in, bring groups and in, bring individuals in, get their feedback, create a task force of young employees and have them present to you. Uh, believe me, they, they have the answers and or collaborating with you, they can create some of those answers. Uh, this question might be a little far afield, but uh, stick with me here. Um, so I, I believe you're a sports fan uh, or you're into sports. You've written a book. Yeah, uh, about... I, was a, I was a college athlete. Yeah. Uh, what did you play, by the way? Well, I was a track and field athlete. I was a, a long jumper and triple jumper. Uh, so you know you you've been in in the world of sports. You've had coaches. I'm assuming has has that affected the way you think about uh, coaching and engagement and those those things uh, when it, you know applying it to to business at all. Absolutely, and the big thing is you have to approach each person totally in a different way. How I coach. One executive, I could take an exact different approach with the other. So I've got the opportunity to coach a lot of senior executives. Some, I won't get anywhere with them unless I use data. And we're using analysis and assessments and different tests. And they'll get buy-in once they see the numbers. And that's okay. And there's some people, some creative executives I work with, where the last thing they want to do is talk about numbers. They're more about the human emotion and, and, and spirit. So we'll go a totally different direction with that. But one thing that is consistent when coaching, whether it's a senior executive or a young millennial manager or doing group coaching of employees, is that people really do want to be held 
accountable. They really do like having what I like to call good friction. When I was in graduate school at uh, Columbia University, my, my, my thesis advisor was a Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist, and I was always extremely afraid to turn in drafts of my thesis because I knew when it came back it would be covered in red ink and there would be so much work to do. So I started turning it in late and things weren't going good. And one day he just cornered me and said, Antonio, why are you turning all this information in late? You're not making this easy. And I expressed my, my fears that when I know when it comes back, it's going to come back with all the red ink and I'll start over. It's going to be a tough blah, blah, blah. And he looked at me and he said, Antonio, don't you know you pay for the red ink? That's why you're here. And I think that works the same way when it comes to coaching is that for the first time, especially if you're senior leaders, they have someone that can look them in the eye and be honest with them, be clear with them, and not flinch and hold them accountable and how they can improve and what shifts and adjustments they can make, why so-and-so isn't actually an idiot. Maybe they actually played a role or something and they have to take responsibility for that versus always being defensive and pointing fingers at other people. So I think sports and my background in that play a really major role in how I communicate with people by also giving them even key metrics to hit to know that they are actually succeeding to know that things have improved. I'm wondering if you have uh, another example of a coach that's, uh, that was really meaningful to you in your life, whether it was in sports or in business, uh, and, and if you could talk about that a little bit and why that was why they were a good coach to you. Sure. I had a coach, uh, my college track and field coach changed my life, and it affects me every single day in the work that I do and the work that I do with others. I was a walk-on on the track and field team at my university. A walk-on is someone that essentially tries out for the team and if you're lucky enough, you earn a spot on the roster, but you don't have a scholarship. So I walked on, I earned a spot on the roster, but I didn't have a scholarship. The good news was that I had an opportunity, based on performance, to earn a scholarship. Two years after being on that team, I was doing absolutely horrible. I wasn't getting any results. And one day, my head coach came up to me on the track during practice, and he said the obvious. He said, Antonio, you're doing horrible. <laughs> he said, but let me point something out to you. He said, I don't know if you know this, but we have two All-Americans on our track and field team. And he pointed to these two men on the track. He said, we have two All-Americans on our track and field team, yet in your two years on this team, not once have I seen you spend any time with them. Instead, you're hanging out with those guys. And he pointed over to the high jump mat where a few of my other teammates were laying back laughing, having a good time. Now, these were men out there committing crimes or doing things horrible, but they weren't All-Americans. He looked at me and reiterated, we have two All-Americans on our team, but you're hanging out with those guys. He walked away. He didn't cut me from the team. What Coach Shaw you know, did for me in that moment was really introduce me to this concept of thieves and allies and who I was willing to spend my time with to improve and to get better. And now thieves will keep me in mediocrity, will keep me standing still and not growing and moving forward. But spending time with allies, those top performers, that's going to push me and challenge me and help me move forward. And I paid attention. I spent time with those allies. And though I never became an All-American myself, I, I was able to perform good enough to earn a scholarship. And where that applies in my work today is, unfortunately, I see a lot of people in the workforce who play it small. They don't spend time with allies. 
They don't spend, they spend time, unfortunately, a lot of times with thieves in the office. Those colleagues that are thieves, those people that come in the office and are complainers, that are, are energy vampires, people that always have a lot of drama going on, that are gossiping. But then the, the men and women are doing great things, who are challenging the status quo. Uh, they're afraid to hang out with them because they wonder what's going to happen if they do and what people will say about them. So I always encourage people to find the allies in your office, be an ally to others. And spend time with them because that can spark great change. And, and there are some thieves you can identify. Create boundaries from those individuals. Um, I tell people, like, look, think about the five people you spend the most time with and ask yourself a simple question. Do they make you better? Do the five people make you better or do they keep you standing still where you are? People who are complaining, who haven't got a promotion in a long time, they probably can... They, they can look close and see why some things haven't happened for them. When you speak at ACUC, what do you hope people take away from your presentation? What I hope people take away from my presentation is that millennials aren't something to be fixed. The same way Gen Xers, which were called slackers, weren't something to be fixed. The same way baby boomers who were innovative when they came into the workplace weren't something to be fixed. And some are something to be harnessed and appreciated. My takeaway is that, again, that we just don't assume and hope that our young professionals change and get their act together, That, but that somehow we as professionals, we as the leaders, we as the people with the most experience can find a way and to take responsibility on our own merit to engage and to inspire these young men and women, that we actually have a role to play in this. How can we, as leaders, as managers, show up a little bit differently? If this employee never changes, what can I do? I think a lot of times, unfortunately, we spend so much time pointing fingers that we rarely point the fingers at ourselves and take accountability for how we can show up. Am I using outdated methods? Am I communicating in a way that a boss communicated to me in the 1980s or 1990s? Am I stuck in a, in a paradigm that can be shifted? So as much as this is about ways we can engage our million employees and empower them to, to get great results, at the end of the day, it really is going to be about these men and women that are in the room who are leaders in their own right and the role that they can play, the accountability that they can take to spark change within their credit unions no matter where they are. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play.